Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. One of the things that Paul uh, speaking to the church of Ephesus, he says, man, I, I, I pray that you would gain a deeper knowledge of God's love, the height, the depth, the width. How many guys know that we serve a God with a limitless love? And as we dive into this series, I'm really excited because I think sometimes around this time of year, it's a great opportunity uh, to get outside of us, uh, even though it's very easy to be consumed with us. And so I'm praying that as we dive into the series that God would begin to speak to you in a multiplicity of ways. Uh, but as we, we kick this off, I, I want to start from really a, a, a message that I'm excited about. I feel like God has something deeply to say to us. It's very simple, but I believe if we take it to heart, it can go a long way. And so today I want to speak to you from the subject of don't forget to stop. Don't forget to stop. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word, that you would do what only you can do, Lord, that you would change us. God, I pray that you'd help us to catch your heart this morning. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each individual right where they're at. I know we're all in a different place, but Lord, you are able to meet us all right where we're at. So speak to us today in a very real way. We want to encounter you, Jesus. So come, Holy Spirit, and use my mouthpiece for your glory. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Well, uh, many of you guys may not know this, but we host an international student from China. Uh, his name is Leon. He's a dear part of our family. He, he lives with us. He's in high school. And uh, back in August, it was a Friday family fun day, and we're getting ready to take him to school like we normally do every single day, right? It's part of our normal routine. The only difference was is Jackie was at a conference in Dallas uh, out there in Texas. And so me and the girls were excited for the day. We get up. I just say, girls, leave your PJs on. We're going to take Leon to school. And so we jump into the car and off we go. And we're, all coming, we're coming home and we're getting off the exit. We live in Livermore. And so the exit we were exiting was Isabel. And if you guys know that area, um, there's no gas stations. There's no uh, really anything over there except businesses and, air, and an airport. And as we were getting off the exit, I started to feel that sputter. You know, that <laughs> car starts stuttering. And, and the first thing you do, obviously, is look down at the gas tank. And I realized that Jackie left me on empty. <laughs> Even though I should have checked it on my own. Like, I get it. I get it. I'm not blaming my wife. But I knew that we we're getting ready to run out of gas. So what do you do when you're getting ready to run out of gas? You need to make sure that you get a good drift. Are you guys tracking with me on that? So I slam on the gas. I try to get as much speed as I can. So we just kind of coast once it dies. And sure enough, that's what happened. The car died and we coasted. The only problem was we coasted on a bit of an incline. And so, so we didn't get very far. And I pulled off to the side of the road. And lo and behold, there's no real bike lane. So we're in a hazard area. I got three kiddos in the back. So I jump out. And I pushed that car probably about, and it's, it's, a, it's an, a little SUV, a Honda SUV. And I pushed it maybe about 50 yards to a spot where we could, uh, you know, pull it over into the little enclave and try to figure out what we're going to do. So I thought, no big deal. I'll push it to this little space, grab my cell phone, and call for help. Well, I realized as I looked for my phone, I left it at home. And now I'm going into survival mode. I'm looking at my kids like, we're going to make it. 
Do we have any food? Do we have any water, right? And thank God Jackie keeps some food in the car. So we had some water. We had some granola bars. And the girls thought it was the best thing ever. We're stuck. We ran out of gas. And so no joke, I get out of the car and I'm trying to flag people down. And hundreds of people just passed me by. And I, you know, I, I, don't, I didn't think I looked scary or anything like that. And just hundreds are passing me by. There was even a highway patrol. I was like, hey, I know he saw me, but he pretended like he didn't. He just kept, kept going. And uh, there were some workers nearby, and they didn't want to pay attention to me. And so I, I started to panic a little bit, like, what am I going to do? I, I can't push this thing all the way to the gas station. That's like miles away. And so finally, I was like, okay, I'm going to utilize my kids, right? I said, Oli, stick your head out the window and just start waving and put a sad face on, right? I'm going to try to wave kids. I'm going to try to wave people down. And, and there was a gentleman that actually stopped. And long story short, it was special because we started to, to conversate. He said, what do you guys need? Do you need me to take you to the gas station? I said, well, three car seats in your car. I don't think that's going to work very well. I said, can I use your phone? He said, yeah, absolutely. So we end up talking a little bit. I find out that he's a follower of Jesus, uh, goes to a, a church not too far from here, is on his way to work. And, uh, and so I, I call my mom, and she, she comes to the rescue, and we get some gas, and, and we get on our way. But I started to think, you know, we, we, we live lives in such a way, I think, today that we just, we're not really fond of interruptions, we're not fond of inconveniences. Would you guys agree with me on that? And I'll be the first to admit, neither am I. Like, I don't like my life to be interrupted. I was shopping at Trader Joe's on Thanksgiving. And you know when you have a good flow in the grocery store? Does anybody understand where you got a good pace? You got a good rhythm? Man, you've hit the produce, onto the dairy. Like, you know the, your aisles and how you navigate. But isn't it the worst? When somebody has their cart blocking one portion of the aisle, they're standing in the other gap and they're looking at ingredients. And you're trying to get by and people are trying to navigate. It's like, man, get out, get out of the way or grab your cart or go off to the side. But they're just oh, taking their, their time and everybody's trying to figure out, you go, no, you go, you go. It's just a little bit crazy. It's, it's frustrating for people to interrupt our flow. I, I think um, one of the most frustrating things uh, when it comes to interruptions, is when you're having a conversation with maybe a group of people and you're at the pinnacle of your story. You guys know what I'm talking about? You're at the pinnacle of your story and then two of them branch off and start talking on their own. You're stuck with one person left and you're like, should I tell you? If I tell you, it's going to ruin the whole thing. And, and you're just, oh, and then you're like, man, get back in the conversation. We just don't like to be interrupted unless it's for us. And I started to... To, to think about how this moment has changed me. I, I tell you what, the fact that this guy stopped, it's changed the way I stop. Now, I, I used to think I was good before on pulling over and helping people on the side of the road and things like that. But now I'm like a stalker. I'm looking for somebody that's just pulled over. I'll roll up next to them and say, hey, do you need a phone? Do you need anything? Because I know how it feels to be stuck and have someone stop. And, and I started to think about the love of God in, in many ways. You see, when, when, when there's such a gratitude because you've been through some things and you've experienced a rescue or you've been stuck and you've experienced someone that stopped, it puts a gratitude in your heart that changes the way that you live. 
And when it comes to the love of God, I, I think in the same manner that here when we're, we're stuck in our sins and God runs to us with his loving embrace, it should dramatically change the way we live. It should change dramatically the way we live. It will change the way you live, or at least it should. And there's a great story, I think, to illustrate this, found in Luke chapter 15. I've only preached on it one time since I've been here at Fountain. It's a very familiar passage. Uh, many of you guys uh, have probably heard it. Even if you're not, even if you don't go to church on a regular basis, you probably have heard this story at some level. But it's, it's the story of the prodigal sons. Uh, one that was lost outside of the father's house. One that was religious, lost inside of the father's house. And, and prodigal simply is, is a word, it means waste. It means a waste. And, and I think so many times our, we waste our life because there hasn't been a revelation of the love of God. And so we waste our life pursuing stuff and things and not realizing that there's this love that satisfies. There's this love that casts away all fear. And I, I think this is a, a perfect story to illustrate it. And in this story, Jesus is speaking to two audiences. He's speaking to one audience that's just kind of a mess. They, they would be labeled the sinners, the, the, the ones who are obviously not walking with Jesus, not following God. Their lives don't exemplify uh, that of someone that would go to church or someone that's in relationship with God. And then there's another group who think they're awesome. They're more of a religious group, and they think they're, they're they just think they're awesome. Like, we, we feel like we kind of deserve God's love. We're we're. We're par for the course, like we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. But in both, of these, uh, in both of these groups, neither one of them had an understanding of the love of God. And so Jesus begins to, to tell a, a few stories, and we're going to lean just into the last one of this, this, this prodigal sons. And, and Jesus begins to elaborate, and, and, and he says that there, there was a, a young man who, who pretty much went to his father and said, Hey, Dad. You're not dying fast enough. I just wish you were dead. Like, come on, that's, that's pretty harsh, right? He's saying, you know, matter of fact, I don't want to be in your house anymore. I don't want to be connected to you anymore. Can you just give me my inheritance now? I just want you to die. I just want you out of my life. I want to take my money and I want to go. And so he goes and he spends his money on everything that the world promises to satisfy. And he finds himself... Uh, Making a long story short, in a place of emptiness, he runs out of money, the friends go away, and he's, he's, he's working in this particular place where he's feeding pigs. So he's just kind of at the lowest of the low point of his life. And, and he comes to his senses and he has this idea, he says, man, even the servants in my father's house are doing so much better than me here. I, I'm not worthy to be his son anymore. But maybe he'll take me back as a servant. So he tries to get this clever speech to, to present to the father. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in Luke chapter 15. It says that, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion. Everybody say love. love. And compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now notice how... The father is doing what he does every day, going about his business, and all of a sudden his life is interrupted with the son that betrayed him, with the son that disgraced the family, 
with the son that made a fool and a laughing stock of him in the neighborhood. And he sees him from a distance, and, and rather than ignoring or pretending that he doesn't see, he runs to him. He runs to him, embraces him, and kissed him. The son doesn't even have a moment to explain himself. And the father's already, hey, get a robe and put it on his back. Get some new sandals for his feet. Get a ring and put it on his finger. And the ring was a symbol of authority of saying, you are no servant of mine. You are my son. And so, I mean, just this, this lavish embrace, this loving embrace, this love without limits. But the older brother was angry. The older brother was like, Dad, what are you doing? Like, this guy's made a fool of you. He's made a fool of himself. Like, look, I deserve to have your love. I, des I have earned every penny. I have earned every ounce of your love. I've always been faithful. And he starts to exaggerate. I've never done anything wrong. And he continues, and he's just so upset that the son is brought back. He doesn't even acknowledge him as his brother. He says, this son of yours. And he's just furious. And the father's like, whoa, 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 time out. And I love it because the father doesn't ignore him. The father runs to him as well. And look what he says. He says, his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed with me and everything I have, it, it's already yours. But man, your brother who was lost is home. Like, we got to get the fattened calf. We got we to have a barbecue. We got we to gotta celebrate. And he says, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he was found. And the brother was like, ugh. How many of you guys know who was the most disappointed that the son came home? How many of you guys think it was the brother? It was the calf. He wasn't excited. <laughs> Calf was not excited. But 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 I, I think it's I think it's true. This is this is a great picture of the love of God. Because like the one who wished that his father was dead, all of us knows how it feels to be in a rebellious place, don't we? Like, like let, me, let me show you an outline here. I think all of us know how it feels to be foolish, think we know everything, or think we have all the answers. And for some reason, we think, you know, starting maybe at the age of 12 or 14, that we have it more figured out than the creator of the universe, who is outside of time and in eternity. We just, we just think some of this stuff. And, and we, we, we have this pride, and we know how it feels to be selfish and wasteful and really just stuck in sin and lost. I think we all know how it feels to, to be there. Maybe you're there right now. And how undeserving sometimes we feel when we hit rock bottom. Like knowing that we've done all of this stuff and we've been trapped in some of these things, knowing that we basically wish God was out of our life and we want to live our way and do our own thing. And, and then in that moment of desperation, many of us know how it feels to have the Father run to us. When we didn't deserve it, when he should have ran away from us, he embraced us. He put a robe on our back, some fresh sandals on our feet, or Jordans if it was me, and, uh, and a ring on our finger, and, and through a celebration. And, and there, there's nothing like that love once you've tasted it. But I think we also can identify, let me show you, with the religious one, where we think we're perfect. 
we would never say that, but we really believe that. In other words, we think we're so much better than everybody else. We're just on track. We're crossing our T's and dotting our I's, still full of pride, feeling a lot more entitled, like, God, you owe me. You know how many times I went to church this last year? And you let this happen? How many of you guys ever been there? How many of you guys ever had something bad happen to you and you look up like, really? I serve you. Really? And there's this kind of this entitlement to us. And, and then we find ourselves comparing ourselves to others. And, and in this place, we really live in a state of fear because if we start or if we stop crossing our T's and dotting our I's, what ends up happening is we start to get afraid that maybe we're going to lose this love. Maybe we're going to lose this blessing. Maybe people will find us out who we really are, right? We don't want nobody to do that, and we're still lost. It just looks a little bit more pretty, but we're still lost. And I think this one is the most dangerous because uh, it, it's very subtle, and many of us can find ourselves trapped in this, being inside the church, coming to church every single week, and still find ourselves lost inside the house. And, and the scary part is this, is that when, when, when we're in a place where we're kind of operating religiously, not so much in relationship with the Father, but more so religiously based on our own merit and our works, thinking that we're awesome, thinking that it's up to us. What we end up doing is we start to overestimate uh, our goodness and we start to underestimate God's love. And then what we have to do is we have to hide the brokenness. We have to pretend that everything is okay because we don't want people to know the real us. And then we compare ourselves to one, one another because it makes us feel better. Like, hey, I'm so much better than them. So God, surely you, you know, love me more. And the sad part is this, is those people miss out on the love of God as well. Because they don't know what it feels like for God to say your goodness is not good enough. It will never be good enough. However, I still love you. I still love you. It's, it's, it's a love without limits. All of us want to feel like we're worth something. And then God comes and says, man, you're worth it all. You're worth me sending my son to suffer on a cross, to be brutally sacrificed. For what purpose? Because through my son and in my son, what, what is that a demonstration of the father running to us, saying I want you to experience this love that will change you forever. It's a love without limits. But as I was preparing this, I thought, man, how limitless God's love is, but how limited ours is sometimes. You know, I, I think I'm learning a lot from my children, probably more than they're learning from me. But as I watched their life, Jesus said, hey, you need to pay attention to these kids because you can learn something. And I'm learning a little bit about limits. Uh, my middle child, Abby, she has this cat that she absolutely adores. The cat is a part of our family. It, it's a stuffed animal cat. But this cat, she, she wants, you know, when she's going to bed, she wants her cat. It's that one. When we're traveling and we're going to take Leon to school or we're going to run an errand, she wants her cat. It's her baby. I mean, this cat has even taken baths. So it's a little ratty because it's a stuffed animal. So you know what I mean? Like, why would you put him in the bath? But it's her cat. And, and last month we were at Laundry Love, and there was a homeless woman that was sitting outside of the laundromat. And Abby comes up to me. She says, hey, Dad, she's five, mind you. She says, I want to give her my cat. I think she could use my cat. I said, babe, that's your special cat. She's like, I know, but I think she needs it more than I do. 
And so, so let me show you this picture. She, she goes over and she sets it right by the woman. Didn't want to disturb her because she was sleeping. And she sets it right by the woman. And she's just looking out the windows or driving away, so pumped up, so excited. I'm like, you just gave away your best cat. And you're, you're pumped up. She was so excited. And I thought, man, in this moment, she loved her cat in the way that it made her feel. But she loved this woman more than she loved herself. And I thought, I need to pay attention to you. Because you just gave away something that you love so much. Because you love this woman who you don't even know that much more. And, and then my oldest daughter, uh, Olivia, she's, she's got a little fire to her. And, and we were walking outside of Safeway. And in our area, you know, we have several uh, homeless people that, that hang out. And, and we've done our best to try to build a relationship and, and get to know some of them. And so we, we were coming out of Safeway. And she says, hey, Dad. And she's so cute. She's like, I think he's homeless. We, we need to do something. And so I look, I'm like, baby girl, man, that's awesome. But daddy doesn't have any cash on him, so we, we got to go. And we were in a hurry. And she stops me. She said, well, then go and get some. <laughs> she says, go to the ATM. We're at the store. Go get some. What are you going to say to a seven-year-old at that point? You know what I did? I went and got some. And I just thought, man, the priorities seem to be way more intact than us adults. I feel like as we get older, we just get skewed along the way. And we start to lose sight of, what, of what's really important. And I just thought, man, I need to lean into you because your limits are way different than my limits. And you start to think, well, well what is the limit to loving people? And Jesus really... Loves to push the limits. How many of you guys know Jesus loves to push the limits? And so Jesus is, is speaking in Luke chapter 6. And he says, I'm, I'm going to show you the limit. And the crowd that he's speaking to, you have to understand what Jesus is getting ready to say is a big deal. These guys are under oppression. It's not a fun time for the people of Israel. They're struggling under the Roman hand. And it's rough. And Jesus says, you want to know the limit? Let me show you. Luke chapter 6. He says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. What? Like we're cool with loving us, even the annoying ones sometimes. But our enemies do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those that mistreat you. It's interesting as you, as you look at this, I think the, there's something significant about the order. Because many times we, we take this passage and we do it backwards. Let me show you. A lot of times we'll pray for people. And if they're lucky or we feel stirred, maybe we'll bless them. If it's a really good day and I'm feeling anointing, we'll do good to them. And then just maybe, maybe we'll love them. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Let, let me reverse that. <laughs> let me show you his order. He says, no, I want you to love them sacrificially off the bat. Love is a decision. It, it, it's a choice. It, it's not a feeling. And then he says, you know what? As a matter of fact, love them sacrificially and do good to them. Let's start there. And then he says, on top of that, why don't you bless them? And then it would be a good idea to pray for them. And how often we get to hear, but we never get here. This one, it just seems to be so easy. I, I'm going I'm to pray for you. I know you're freezing, but I'm going to pray for you, right? 
We're all guilty of that. We're all guilty of driving by. We, we got places to go. We got work to be at. We got, you know, the guy on the side of the road, the pastor that's in desperate need. We're like, we know how it feels to drive by. But Jesus is saying, no, your love, it should look proactive even toward your enemies. I think a great example of this is Martin Luther King. He's giving a, a speech in Birmingham, and a 200-pound guy by the name of Roy James comes up and just starts beating the daylights out of Martin Luther King. Just starts plummeting him. He's part of a Nazi crew. And Martin Luther King is, is just bleeding. He's leaking. And, and, and the, the people around Martin Luther King came to, to, to rise up to grab this guy. This guy thought he was going to get beaten, and Martin Luther King protects him. No, no. Protection. Everybody's like, what are you doing? And Martin Luther King begins, begins to say, hey, listen, this is not how we're going to win. We're not going to win through retaliation. He goes on this thing, and then he introduces Roy as if he's the guest of honor. And as he's embracing him and the crowd is singing songs, this man begins to weep. They have a conversation afterwards. He, Martin Luther King never presses any charges. And he's leading the way. See, it's a love that's active. It's a love that says, listen, even though, man, I have every right to get up and punch you one, that's not what Jesus has called us to do. And we see that in full-blown action. What does he do? He doesn't just simply pray for him. He loves him. He does good to him. He blesses him. And then I'm sure there was a, a moment of prayer. And so Jesus is saying, man, this is not just some abstract deal. This is some practical stuff that I want to give you on some of these limits. Now, I want you to get this in your mind, that if this is how we're supposed to treat our enemies, how about everybody else? Jesus goes on to say, let me take it a little bit further. He goes on to say, he said, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other also. This passage a lot of times I think is misunderstood. This is not a passive passage but rather a proactive aspect of love, a proactive reaction of love. See, if someone slaps you, boom, the first one is kind of humiliating and demeaning. But the second slap, I rise up, I look at you in your eyes, and I say, I see you. We're on equal playing field now. And if you still want to slap me, go ahead. I can take it. And in that moment, it may seem passive, but you just remove the power of confrontation that results in violence. I mean, who, I mean, even growing up, when, when somebody didn't want to fight, it was like, come on, swing at me. Not going to do it. I, like, how am I going to punch a guy with his hand? And some people are crazy and they'll just do it anyways. Um, so you got to use discernment on this passage. But it, it's not just, hey, in Jesus' name, keep punching me in the face. It's, no, I'm going to dismantle the power of confrontation in this moment through, through this, this act of love that may seem completely ridiculous, but I'm hoping that in the chance of you seeing what you're doing to me, that you will see, or my heartbeat is that I would save you from a life of dysfunction and oppression and abuse, and that my life would be a mirror that you'll see that rebellion as you beat me to a pulp. And hopefully in that, that some coals will heap on your head and you'll turn from your ways. So far from passive, this is a very active approach to loving our enemy. 
Uh, Jesus goes on to say, he says, if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. And a lot of times this would be as somebody's being dragged into court, they would say, give me your coat. And Jesus said, say, hey, you want my shirt too? Because see, in this day, it was a little bit different in the first century than it is in our day. In the first century, um, well, let me say this. In our day, we become ashamed when people see us naked, right? My clothes. In the first century, it was very shameful if you saw somebody else naked. It was like, oh, can't look at that, right? And so it was, almost, it was almost as if Jesus was saying this. Listen, let them see that they're stripping you to nothing. Show them that they're stripping you to nothing. To, 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 to make it out, make out how human you really are. And then it would be like, hey, give me your jacket. Okay, sure, you want my shirt too? Well, I don't need to see all that. Like, just keep, keep that on. You want, I mean, we can go. Hey, you want to take it off. And the spirit of generosity the spirit of saying, listen, I'll let you strip me down to nothing. With what? With the hopes in that moment of stopping that violent act or that rage. Proverbs says that a gentle word turns away wrath. And Jesus has given us just some very practical things to, to show us that, man, listen, go ahead. Let them see that they're stripping you. You know, I had this one kid. I think I told you guys a story before, but I had this kid when I was youth pastoring. Uh, back in the day on social media, there used to be this thing called MySpace. And, uh, and he created a false one under my name and just made it super, prof you know, profanity all over the place and just butchered, try to butcher my name. And so in the process of that, the Lord told me, I want you to go buy him a skateboard, a good one. I was like, a good one? So I went to the skate shop. I didn't go to like Target. I went to the skate shop. And I picked out this custom board, and I remember that his board had been dilapidated. It was, it was beat up. And I remember the day that I was like, oh, man, you embarrassed me. You, you stripped me down. But I'm going to give you my shirt. I'm going to give you my resource. And I showed up to his house with a skateboard in my hand. And I just said, man, I love you, bro. And, and I mean, it was such a moment. And it completely disfused the whole thing. And we're friends to this day. He's given us a couple. He used to work for Best Buy. Some of the stuff that you see in our sound equipment, he's given us discounts. It was just, but, but what it was was, hey, listen, all right, man, like you've stripped me down. You've embarrassed me. Let me show you how far this love goes. And it changed the game. And so Jesus has given us, let me give you one more that he, he shows us in, in Mark chapter 5. He says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, you have to understand that in this day, in the first century, Roman soldiers were able to grab a Jewish man to have them carry their armor at any point. So you literally, you could be on your way home from work after a long day, excited to come home and relax. And right before you get to your front door, hey, I need you to carry my armor. About 60 pounds. And... And, and at the end of this mile, so you could imagine what that conversation would have looked like on the trail, right? Like, are you serious? But what a great opportunity. What a great opportunity to speak to, to that individual. But that's not the best part. See, the, the Roman soldiers were only allowed to go one mile until they violated or overstepped their boundaries. 
And so at a mile, the power shifts from the person carrying the armor or from the, person, from the, the, the soldier to the person carrying the armor. And so in that moment, as the power shifts, and that Jewish man would say, hey, he said, you can stop now. And the Jewish man said, no, I got one more mile in me. Let's go. I'm going to take it one more mile with you. You, know, you always hear that saying, going the extra mile. And, and the Roman soldier would actually get in trouble if they violated this. So you could imagine, like, well, what, do you, what do you mean? You're, you're going to volunteer? And all of a sudden, the power shifts. Come on, let's go conversate for one more mile. Let me show you this love. Let me show you this God that I serve. And Jesus said, listen, when we begin to live like this, look what he says. He says, he says your reward from heaven will be so great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are thankful, unthankful, and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. What's the limit? Just a great picture of how God has called us to love. Now, now Jesus illustrates this whole thing in, in, in one last story I'm going to tell you. We're just gonna, I'm going to paraphrase it. We're going to go through it really quick. But he, he illustrates this in a, in a, in a story uh, found in Luke chapter 10 of the Good Samaritan. Jesus is talking about loving your neighbor. And so one of the guys, to kind of protect himself and justify himself, look what he says. He says, well, Jesus, uh, I want to justify my actions. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? I, how far, what are the limits here? Jesus said, man, I'm so glad you asked. Let me tell you a story. And he, still, he, he begins to tell the story of a man that was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. And on his way, he got caught by bandits, and they beat him, and they stripped him down, and they left him for dead. And he said, there was a, a pastor that walked by, saw the man. And, you know, this road, is, it's a dangerous road. It's one of the most dangerous roads traveled of their day in, in ancient Israel. A lot of times you get robbed and beaten. It was, it was an unpredictable road. And so the man is stripped, he's beaten. You, you can't really identify who is he. Is he one of us? Is he poor? Is he rich? Is he deserving of, of this beating? You, 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 just, you couldn't tell. And so Jesus says, you know, there was a pastor that walked by and looked at him and said, I got a counseling appointment, man. Sorry. And he walks past him. And then a temple assistant or maybe... You know, one of us lay people in the church, one of you guys, walks past the man, and they have a little bit more reason to walk past the man, right? Because their pastor did. So it's like, well, my pastor walked by, so I'm going to go ahead and walk by. And then he said, then there was a Samaritan. Now, when he said Samaritan, everybody's like, where are you going with this, Jesus? Because Samaritans and Jews, they didn't get along. Jewish looked at, Jews looked at them as half-breeds, and they were always at odds. They, everybody listening had oppressed the Samaritan people. They had oppressed them. So even though the Jewish people were being oppressed by the Romans, the Jewish people were oppressing the Samaritans. And so Jesus said, yep, then there was a Samaritan, and, and guess what? They're like, no, no way, no. He stopped. He said, yeah, he stopped and he bandaged up his wounds, gave him some food to eat. 
put them in a, in a, in a hotel and said, hey, listen, I'm going to cover the charges. And then said, hey, if there's any extra ones, man, when I come back, I, I got the tab. Yeah, he stops. What Jesus was saying is, there's no limits. Every excuse that we feel like we have to just to drive by me on the side of the road. Now you say, well, man, that could be dangerous for a lady. I get it, but you can call somebody. You could let them know you're calling somebody. You could just crack your window. Or I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm not saying you have to stop for every person, but I'm saying we got to check our hearts on this. Jesus is saying. Man, he, he's, he's removing every obstacle or excuse for you and I not to stop. Not to stop. And it doesn't have to just look like for homeless people. Like I was at the Hyatt the other day uh, setting up a hotel room for our guest speaker a few weeks back. Uh, this little uh, one in Hacienda. And, and as I'm dialoguing with the guy, there was a couple of people that were there. And uh, can we turn up the keys a little bit for me? That would be awesome. Uh, there was a couple of people that were there. And... Uh, and I overheard them talking, and they're from out of town, and they were at the wrong hotel. And so they said, well, can we call a cab or an Uber? And the, they didn't really want to let them use their phone. And so I just felt the Lord nudge me. I said, you know what, I'll take you. I drive Uber sometimes, so what's, get in my car. They're like, what? Like, you'll, you'll take us? Like, yeah, man, come on. I'll take you to the hotel. No big deal. And so we just, you know, you never know what happens on the drive. We exchange numbers. We start talking. They find out I'm a pastor. And they're like, wow, like hospitality in the Bay Area. This is great. This is great. It doesn't have to, to, to look outlandish. Jesus is saying, listen, guys, if you got to love your enemies, there's just no excuse of how we love and serve people. You know, we, we've given you some bags on your seats. And... Uh, you know, Jesus closes out with this that I, I, I want to I leave us with today. He says, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked, the, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. What Jesus is saying is, again, when we are impacted by the love of God, it should change the way we live. We're here to model it, this story. He said, man, which one went away? Like, which one was the neighbor? The one who showed mercy. The one who was interrupted. The one who allowed his day to be inconvenienced a little bit. By something that was, ugh, frustrating. Probably backed him up, a, you know, maybe a half a day's journey. And, and these bags that we put on, on your seats, they're not just bags. We're calling them, we're calling them canes and cards. And I had this idea that there's five kindness cards in the bag and there's five invites. And I thought, what if we just made Christmas this year not about us? And every week we took five cards, five kindness cards, and actually just went and showed mercy to somebody. Maybe just asking Jesus, hey, who should I show mercy to? Or maybe there's somebody in line behind Starbucks. I mean, it could be very simple. It doesn't have to be a, a taxi ride or anything. It could just be a simple cup of coffee. It could be something where we're showing the love of God. And I thought, man, if all of us, if our church for the next four weeks, it's one thing just to give an invite, but it's another thing to meet a need physically and then touch them spiritually. And so I thought, man, what if... We just did five of those a week, if all of us, 
even if just the adults, right? I want to encourage our students and our kids to do the same because sometimes they do a whole lot better than we do. But just five, we could touch over 1,500 people a week. Five, 1,500 stops. Could you imagine that? 1,500 people per week that we can touch in Jesus' name. And they think, well, I don't, I don't know if I really, uh, it's a little bit uncomfortable. It is. Can I just tell you, compassion is costly. Compassion gets you out of your comfort element. Like, that's the beauty of it. Like, you think my daughter was comfortable giving away her prized possession? No, but the joy that came afterwards was like, this is what it's about. But it'll cost you in the moment. Like, it, the Lord was very comfortable in heaven. And then stepping down into sinful humanity outside of his comfort zone to run towards us. Man, can we just do the same? Can we just practice this Christmas? That we would say this, this Christmas is not going to be focused around us. But how can we really touch people in Jesus' name out of an overflow of what God has done for us? Maybe some of us just need to recall where God has delivered us from. And just take a moment to, to soak that in. Why? Last point. It's because to the degree we see the price God paid to stop and love us will determine the price we'll pay to stop and love others. 